Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 47. Isaiah was one of the prophets preaching to Israel. And you remember we talked about the fact that the kingdom was divided after Solomon and uh, Jeroboam and took the tribes to the north, ten tribes, and Rehoboam down in the southern kingdom. And uh, they drifted into idolatry and Baal worship. First thing Jeroboam did was build golden calves, had a short memory. Uh, you remember when they came out and, and Moses went up on the mount and, and the children uh, cast all their jewelry and, you know, and they made golden calf and they worshiped that, having just come out of Egypt. And uh, God, when, he came, when Moses came down, he, he had that ground into to powder and they had to drink that thing. And, but here they are now several years later. And they're they worshiping the golden calf again up in the northern kingdom. And God sends the Assyrians to take them into captivity. And then uh, the southern kingdom goes under Babylon. But now in chapter number 47, we have already read previously that God prophesied they're going to stay there 70 years. He's going to raise up another kingdom called the Persians. King Cyrus will be in charge of that. And as I read through this week, Psalms 40, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 47, this deals with him judging Babylon. They have been the instrument in his hand, but now he's going to judge them. And our God deals with nations as you deal with an infant child. I mean, our, the God that you love, the God that you serve, the God who gave his son to die for you, I mean, for him to move entire nations and judge entire nations is, is, is nothing. I mean, he's in, I hope you understand the awesomeness of what this chapter is about. Here is what historians call a world power. In fact, they were the dominant world power at that particular time. And God says, I'm going to take you down. And he did. And he did. And in that connection, will you allow me to read some of these verses? And I'll share just a, a thought with you here, and we'll, be, we'll go as God speaks to our heart. But notice what it says. And as he speaks to the nation of Babylon, he is addressing all of them through the prophet of God. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughters, uh, daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called ten and delicate. Take the millstone, the grind and grind meal, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover thy thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit Thou silent, get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. He's speaking to Babylon. For thou shalt no more be called the lady of kingdoms. I was wrought with my people. God's speaking, and he's speaking of Israel. I was wrought with my people, and I have polluted mine inheritance and given them into thy hand. Now watch this. Thou didst show them no mercy. Upon the ancients hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke. And thou sayest, I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things to thine heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now this, thou art given to pleasures, that, dwe thou, that dwellest carelessly, 
that sayest in thy heart, I am, and there's none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment in one day. The loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. For thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am and none else besides me. Therefore shall evil come upon thee. Thou shalt not know from whence it ariseth and the mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off and desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. Stand now with thine enchantments and with a multitude of thy sorceries wherewith thou hast labored from thy youth. If so be that thou shalt be able to profit, if so be thou mayest prevail. Thou art weary in the multitude of thy counselors. Let now the astrologers and the stargazers and the monthly pronosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The the fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at nor fire to sit before. Thus shall they be unto thee with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander everyone in his own quarter and none shall save thee. Will you bow with me for prayer? Father, I want to thank you for the fact that the God who loved us and gave his son to die for us is the God of this universe. You're the God of creation and not by you all things do consist. And Father, I'm glad to know that this God, our great God, who's fashioned this world and all the universe, all the stars, the planets, and all of history is rotating around you. God, I'm glad that you know us individually. I'm glad that by love you called our name. I'm glad one day we'll see him and we'll say there he is, for we shall see him as he is. And God, I pray right now that the Holy Ghost of God shall make the reality of the great God of Israel and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, real to all of this group here and our friends in the internet audience. And I pray, God, for your anointing. God, I pray we leave here rejoicing in the fact that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we would ask or think. I pray, God, that we would willingly serve him, make us a witness for Christ. And God, I pray, God, that not a man or a woman or boy or girl here will leave lost and will thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a note about the context of this message because I'm going to take a verse here in a minute and take off and go a different direction. But here is how I said to you a while ago. He's dealing with, a, with the nation of Babylon, an entire nation. I'm talking about an entire governmental system that has military, uh, that has institutions of higher learning, and that they have great engineering skills. And God said, in a moment, in a day, he said, you'll be childless and you'll be widowhood. And he said, I'll bring judgment on you in a day. And he did. The nation of Babylon failed. It's never again reclaimed its prominence in all of history. And uh, you know a little bit about it now uh, by the term of Iraq and uh, all that goes on over there. 
But yet, it, it's not what it ever, not what it was then, and never will be again. He judges them. He judges that nation. He deals with them, and he speaks to them. Now, why does he do that? He said this. He said, "Because, because I delivered my children, Israel, into your hand." He used them, used the Babylonians as an instrument to chasten Israel. But he said, when I gave you that opportunity and I did lead you in and I did lead them in captivity, you showed them no mercy. You know what I note from that? I note that our God, he is involved in the economy and in the, in the world system, even though people reject him, even though they ignore him, he's still in control. And in, in Russia, and in, in Pakistan and in India and in other countries around the world. And you and I think of them as being non-Christian nations. And we think that God's only interested in us. God's interested in folk all around the world. He loved them. He died for them. And he wants to see them saved. And he, he notes their disobedience. He notes their sin. And we learn that from this little lesson here. But now notice, also learn this. He brought judgment on them because of their mistreatment of the nation of Israel. Now you say, well, that's ironic because God's the one who used them to take Israel into captivity. He did, but he noted how they treated them. That reminds me of the blessings of Abraham. He said to Abraham, and he's never retracted this promise, I will bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee. And, and God deals with nations in regard to Israel. In every how they treat Israel, if they are prayerful and supportive of Israel and they bless them, God bless that nation. If they curse Israel and they want to destroy Israel and they want to fight against Israel, they are fighting against Jehovah God. And I don't want to be on their side. I want to be on Israel's side. I'm going to stand with Israel as God will allow us. Notice he not only deals with them about that, but he deals with them in verse number 10 about their pride. He said, thou hast trusted in thy wickedness and, and saith, none seeth me. There's no God that knows me. There's no God that knows anything about me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge have perverted thee. Thou hast said in thy heart, I am, and there's none else beside me. Boy, they thought they were it. They thought they were the greatest thing in the world. And, and most historians would say they were. But God said, I'm greater, and, and I know your heart, and you're full of pride. And God hates pride. He hates it in preachers, and he hates it in singers, and Sunday school teachers, and deacons, and church members, and, and in moms and dads. He hates that element of pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency that we don't need God. He hates every bit of that, and he brings judgment on them because of their, their treatment of Israel, because of their pride. He brings judgment on them, and the way they did that, listen, He's dealing with them. He has an interest in them. Hey, they're living on his earth. They're breathing his air. They're eating his food. They're spending his gold and silver. The Bible said all of it belongs to him. And so he's in control of all of it. Please understand that God does not have a vested interest in America and he's letting the rest of the world go on and do what they want to do. God is in control. I promise you he is. And he judges them not only because of their pride and not only because of their treatment of Israel, but he judges them because of their false 
religion, and wickedness. He notes their sorceries. And look down here, if you will, please. And he says this about them. Thou art weary in the multitude of thy counselors. Let now the astrologers and the stargazers and the monthly pronosticators stand up and save thee. And, and from these things it shall come. And he said, they're going to burn like stubble. And all that they had trusted in all of their life, and all of that business, you know, the horoscopes and all that business. And uh, all of that, he said, you, you've, you've trusted in sorceries and uh, all types of, of wickedness and witchcraft and everything else. But payday came down the road and God judged Babylon and he raised up the Persian Empire and he allowed Israel to go back in and rebuild the temple. Now, just quickly, though, I, want, I, I was attracted this week to verse 14. And listen to what he says about the finality of judgment. And this is true of Babylon. It's true of every nation. The Bible said that nations that forget God will be turned into hell. But it also said that every man, woman, boy, and girl that rejects the Lord Jesus Christ will end up in hell for all eternity. And here it is in the Old Testament, verse 14. Behold, they shall all be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. And I, I, I want you to highlight or underline, if you will, the power of the flame. Oh, that's an awesome thing when I got to thinking about it. I have a friend, I mentioned this one time before. His name is Joe. He's a member of Brother Wayne Hargrove's church. He grew up as a commercial fisherman. His granddaddy was a commercial fisherman. He was a commercial fisherman. And there was one time that there was an awful storm coming up the coast and his daddy wouldn't go out. And he said, I'm not going out. And he, he is a young man in his mid-20s and not afraid of nothing in the world, been on the water all of his life. And somewhere down there in one of those little bars around the coast somewhere, there was an idiot that wanted to go out and wanted to go out to, uh, on his boat on fish as that storm was coming in. Some of you have heard about the perfect storm. Well, that's exactly what happened. And, is that, and, and he said, I, I went ahead and went with that fella. And he said, we come as close to dying. He said, I've never seen anything like that in all my life. I mean, he said, on that great big commercial trawler, he said it would stand straight up on the end and then fall right straight back down. And he said, I didn't think we'd ever get back. He said, if I, I said, God, if you ever let me get back to shore, I'm leaving this business forever. And he did. But now you're talking about an idiot. He went from doing that to going out west to fighting with the Forester Service wildfires. He's still with the Forester Service. He sent a tower down here outside of Jacksonville watching for fires down here. But he ended up fighting wildfires out in the west. I wish you could hear him talk about it. You sit on television, you can't appreciate it. And he said, he said, it's the most awesome thing you've ever seen. And people wonder, well, how come you can't just put it out? He said, you can't, it's impossible. Impossible. I just pulled up a few little statistics a little while ago. Do you know that every year in America by wildfire, this is just wildfires, not home fires, not fires right here, but every year in America, 1.2 million acres of property are burned by wildfires. In 2005 alone, there were 66,522 wildfires in America. Four out of every five of those were started by people. In, in, in 2005, 8 million 686,753 acres were burned with fire. 5,000 people died. 
Now you think about that. And we've averaged 5,000 people a year dying from fire in America. I remember watching newsreels and reports and all this back when, uh, in, particularly in the, in the World War I, World War II, and the flamethrowers. And I used to watch those things and sometime in movies and sometime in real life, I'd see those flame floors. And, I, you know, I, I, you don't pick the way you're going to die. But I always said I'd whole lot rather a fellow shoot me than for me to be burned to death with a flamethrower. Boy, there's just something about that that I just, re, it just re, my nature just repelled or rebelled against that and that awful thing. And, you know, <clears throat> what Joe told me about those fires, he said people don't understand that they, they, they generate their own wind. And they, they, when that fire gets to going, it, it will go in both directions. But it creates an updraft, and it begins, makes like a tornado, really. And it, it creates wind over 50, mile, uh, uh, 50 miles an hour. And the thing is, it will jump. And it jumps sometimes six miles at a time. And he said, he said you can't get out of the way of it. And that's why the firefighters have to be so careful that it'll come. I mean, it'll come just, just before you know it. Here it is and gone. He said they were fighting a fire one time. And he said this guy, everybody else, they, they had got it. But he said they couldn't get out. It jumped on them before they knew it. And he said he and a buddy just dived in a ditch and pulled one of those uh, flame retardant things over top of them. And he said it was just like a tornado. And it was gone. Everything around them was incinerated just that fast. But he said they had another buddy that died because instead of trying to seek shelter, he tried to take the car and drive. Well, see, what happens is that fire is moving so fast, it eats up all the oxygen. And the engine would not run. It wouldn't crank. And you couldn't crank the car because there was no oxygen. And listen, that, that thing I, I was looking this morning, the, a wood burns at about 1,000, uh, about 1,100 degrees. But that... In the, in the front of that fire, as it's creating that 50 mile an hour wind, the temperatures can reach over 1,400 degrees before the fire ever gets there. And what it does is it, it dries that, dries all, everything out. It just dries everything. And so when the flame actually approaches, it's just like your Christmas tree when you put it in the backyard after Christmas. It's just that quick and gone. And that flame of that fire, what an awesome, awesome thing. It incinerates everything, melts everything, just destroys everything. And he said this of this group of people. He said they would not be able to withstand the power of the flame. No wonder the Lord Jesus Christ warned in Matthew chapter 5 that you're in danger of hell fire. No wonder he said that it's better for you to pluck out your eye or to cut off your hand than to be in hell fire forever. What an awful thing. What an awful thing it is for, for a person to be in hell. No wonder he warned that they should escape the damnation of the fires of hell. He warned them about that. God, Christ incarnate in human flesh, he said, it's great danger to you. And it's better for you to pluck out your eyes and cut off your hand than to be in that flame for all eternity because it's a powerful flame. In the book of Luke is that story that we've read many times. And I want to read it to you once again this morning. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate of the, full of sores, desiring to be fed, fed of the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell... He lifted up his eyes, being in torments, 
And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Oh, what a power that flame has. Beside all this, between, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren that they may testify them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but one went unto them uh, from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they uh, be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Here, over and over, on, on three, four different occasions, he talks about the torments of hell. Here's a man who's begging for somebody to come and just dip his finger in water. And when he pulls it out, there'll be one little drop of water. He's begging for one drop of water. And he never got it. He's still begging for that water. Hell's an awful place. And he said of all those people, they'd be in hell. And he said that they'll be in torment and that the power of the flame, quickly, what does the flame have power to destroy? What is the power of the flame? What does it destroy? Well, in Babylon and in this rich man's life, number one, it has power to destroy pride. Be people prideful. They're full of pride. They will not bow. They will not humble themselves and trust the Lord. But in hell, they'll be humbled. Here's a man, my dear friend, who, who was proud and arrogant, but in hell he lost his pride. He begged and pleaded. He lost his pride. And that prideful spirit that you have in harboring your heart against the things of God, the man of God, and the truth of the word of God, and against Christ himself. You're proud of your accomplishments and proud of your religion and proud of all those things, and you've never submitted to Christ. But in hell, that pride will be destroyed in the power of the flame. The power of the strength, flame will not only destroy pride, but it will destroy all success and all worldly acclaim. Do you know in hell everybody's a nobody? That flame has power to destroy every success. There's nobody in hell in torment crying out for water, one drop of water, who's saying, look what I did. I invented this and I invented that and I accomplished this and I wrote beautiful music and I sang beautiful songs and I created great structures and, and I developed this technology, that technology. Nobody in heaven, in hell, is celebrating their accomplishments. It's all gone. The power of the flame burned up all your successes. It'll burn up all your claim. It'll burn up everything you've ever done. You'll have no fault of it in hell. You'll have no acclaim in hell. There'll be no applause in hell for whatever you've done in your business or in your political life or in your educational life. Whatever it is, you won't have any of that. The flame has power to destroy all of that. And it's gone forever in hell. The power of the flame burns up religion. You can wrap yourself calmly and coolly now in your own religion. You can be satisfied like you are. I'm as good as so-and-so, and I'm as good as this one, I'm as good as that one. I'm as good as anybody else. The Bible said it has nothing to do with comparing ourselves among ourselves. It has to do with whether or not we know Christ. And in hell, all false religion is burned up. There are no Buddhists in hell. There are no, there are no cults in hell. 
Nobody goes around and brags about the fact I don't believe the Bible. I don't go, they don't go around and brag about the fact I don't believe in the virgin birth. Nobody goes around in hell and said, I believe you ought to do the best you can. Nobody does that in hell because all of that's gone in hell. It's all gone. The power of the flame destroys all false concept of religion. The power of flame destroys all unbelief. What a powerful flame it is. There's not one person in hell does not believe in God now. Not one person in hell does not believe in Christ now. There's not one person in hell that does not believe in the torment of hell for all eternity. They're all believers. They're all missionaries. They're all evangelists. That person that you had such uh, pride in and looked to and you thought they were cool, now they're in hell for all eternity. People who have had prominence in music and in Hollywood and all of that crowd, in hell, my dear friend, they believe everything they denied. I don't know what happened to Darwin in this last day. Some people say he recanted everything he ever taught and said that it was not so, that he was a fool. But if he's in hell today, he doesn't believe in evolution anymore. He doesn't believe in it anymore. People don't believe in good works in hell anymore. They know it won't help. Hell destroys all false religion. Hell destroys all unbelief. They are now believers. But it's too late. Too late. You'll believe everything this Bible says when you get to hell. But it'll be too late. Too late. Because of the power of the flame. But I read a verse in the latter chapter of Isaiah that I read to you just now. And in verse number 15 it says this. And you ought to unline these. None shall save thee. They all have their quarter in hell. Everybody, all that crowd that you thought was going to be your rescuer, be your redeemer. They'll be there too. They'll have their place in hell too. None shall save thee. The last thing I suggest to you this morning, that the flame has power to destroy. It has power to destroy all hope. All hope. There's nobody in hell that has any hope of getting out. None. No hope of ever getting out. No such place as purgatory. You don't go to a halfway house. The Bible says the rich man died and in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Paul said to be absent of the body. If you know Christ, is to be present with the Lord. No hope of ever getting out. That flames burned up all hope. All hope. I've watched as you have the scenes in Haiti and the devastation, the death. We can't imagine it. We're not there. No way we could ever fathom what's going on. But they're working out. I've heard people say, we're resilient people. We will come back. We will rebuild. We'll get through this. There's hope. But when you die lost, there's no hope. None shall save thee. The flame has power to destroy every bit of that. But I'll tell you something. There's no reason in the world for you to go there. None. None. He's not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He wanted you to go to heaven. 
He made preparation for you. Matter of fact, he, hell, the Bible said, was created for the devil and his angels. He's got a place called heaven for you. And if you don't, if you don't trust him, if you don't believe on him, you'll be in a place where you're not a welcome guest. You'll be plunged into hell. You know who's, who's going to be there? False prophet will be there. The beast will be there. Satan will be there. All those who rejected Christ will be there. But it's not appointed for you. He wants you to be in heaven. Behold, I go to make a prepare place for you. And if I come again, I receive it myself. He wants you to be in heaven. He wants you to be saved. No man, no woman, no boy or girl, none have to fear this flame. You can be fireproof by knowing Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never. Up in the revival the other night, there's folks singing the first night or two. Don't remember who they were, but it was hot up on that little platform, a little, a small, kind of small building. It was packed out like it was last night. And it was hot on that platform. That fellow, he was a sing, he was a singing, he was a wiping sweat. He's a burning up. His face doesn't turn red as a beet. And he said, one thing about it. He said, I'm hot now. He said, but I'll be cool for all eternity. I don't have to go to hell. Amen. And you know what? You don't have to either. You don't have to either. You say, well, I don't believe none of that. Well, you will. You will. As soon as you die, you'll believe every bit of it. Sad thing. There's an unanswered prayer in this story I read you a while ago. Father, I pray you send Lazarus to cool my tongue. He said, I can't do that. Can't answer that prayer. Can't answer a prayer about any kind of refreshing. No, no release. No, no. Prayers are never answered in hell. Never. Never. I wouldn't want to go there. I'm sure glad God saved me. I'm glad the Holy Ghost of God spoke to my heart. Had people love me and prayed for me. Appreciate a preacher named Teb James saved me about Christ. And I'm glad God the Holy Spirit Spoke to my heart. I've never regretted trusting Christ. I could ask everybody in this building, are you glad you got saved? They said, absolutely. Not sorry. I never, never, never sorry that I became a Christian. I'm like a lot of other people. I've been a sorry Christian sometime, but I, I'm not sorry I got saved. I don't have to die and go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. Not because of anything I did, but because he said, whosoever will may come. And I did. Would you bow your heads in prayer with every head bowed, every eye closed? The power of the flame. I could elaborate a lot more on that, but I think you got the idea. There's not one thing it will not incinerate. Not one thing that it will not consume.